The title of our lesson, this section, is Maturing Love. Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. By the way, that word partnership is not just the word koinonia that we come to become familiar with in the New Testament. It's, it's actually Paul saying not just koinonia, but it is a kind of a mutual koinonia. He, he actually adds an additional community prefix to the word that already means community, if there's even such a way of being able to say that. It's like our uh, co-community that we have with one another. It's, it, it, this is integration. Paul and the Philippians... These are tight folks, and they've done a lot together. They've given a lot, they supported a lot, and they've made a big difference together. This is a dear letter. When people try to categorize it in classic Greek rhetoric, it, it goes far beyond anything that they can classify. There's a classic letter which is called from a patron to a client, or from a benefactor to a beneficiary. And the letter has none of the characteristics, or doesn't have all of the characteristics of that, because it goes so far beyond that. Some would then categorize it as a letter of, of friendship, of, of one friend to another. But yet, even though it has all of those dear qualities of, of, of mutual affection in that letter, it, it also has such an overriding idea of also direction that is given out of love that it can't just fit into that category either. Even from a, a father to a son, it even has you know, so, so many qualities that look like that. Overall, though, people end up just kind of giving up on it and just saying Paul decided to just kind of carve his own new path of how it is that you write a letter in this, in this area because it is that uh, intimate with the church and it, and it references such an intimate uh, relationship that they've had over the past perhaps 12 years that they've known one another about Paul and the church in Philippi. So I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And think about that first day when the man from Macedonia was begging him to come over. He saw a picture of a man in Acts 16 standing, pleading with him, begging. It was the picture of a beggar in Macedonia, a European beggar asking Paul to come over. And so Paul concluded, of course... I guess we got to go preach the gospel. And off they did. And, and right off the bat, the very first thing, even though they saw a man from Macedonia beckoning them, who, who is the, the, the first person that they meet and convert? A woman. And it's, it's actually a woman who kind of launches everything right there in Macedonia through, through Lydia. Ultimately, then, and, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart in Acts 16 for her to be able to receive the gospel, a, a, a woman of, of perhaps prestige, the next person converted in Philippi from Acts 16, we know, is a kind of a besieged, uh, demon-possessed slave girl who doesn't even get converted right away. But because she's so annoying following Paul everywhere he goes while he preaches the gospel, <laughs> screaming to everyone, not a bad thing, these are servants of the Most High God and they're telling you the way to be saved. <laughs> I guess at first Paul thought, not too bad. I mean, if I'm going to have a neon sign over my head, that's not a bad one. But you know what? Hearing even your favorite song over and over and over again 
at some point, it's time to hit shuffle. So, so, so Paul exercises the demon and, and, and brings her into relief as well. And then the next person we see is the classic Roman soldier, the, the, the jailer, who is, who is so astounded at hearing a, a whole night of Paul and Silas so joyful and singing hymns all night, despite being thrown into the stocks and beaten and treated, as Paul says, outrageously, that nonetheless, as he falls before Paul saying, please tell me, what do I need to do to be saved? And so there is the launch from the first day onward of this. So it, we have a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul saw the beginning. He saw what God has been doing through them for 12 years. But he also knows you ain't seen nothing yet. And where you're heading in your trajectory of maturity is fantastic. And it's God-driven. It was God-initiated. And it's going to be God-completed. And it is beautiful. Now, Paul's original intent for writing the letter was because those Philippians just keep encouraging him. And they just sent him another big gift of financial support through one of their own, a guy named Epaphroditus. And so Paul thought, well, since I've gotten this big gift, probably it'd be good form to be able to send them back a letter. And this is that letter to send back. But if he's going to send them the letter, I mean, these are his boys, his girls, initially his girls, and then some boys in that church. These are his peeps. And how how do I just kind of send a, a regular thank you letter? Let me also encourage you to the depths of your souls while I'm doing it as well. And the one thing that he seems to target as he kind of rounds out what he wants to do in this thank you letter uh, is to also let them know that are you, you are going someplace special, Philippian church. God has used you wonderfully already, but where you're going is going to be even more supernaturally astounding. And, and, and thus kind of forms the, the overall basis of this letter. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Yes, all of you. Even you. Since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, which he is at the, at the moment, and perhaps this is his Roman imprisonment that would uh, come at the end of his life in 62 AD. It would be an imprisonment ultimately under Nero. Nero, once uh, he loses some of his key advisors, becomes a bit untethered and unhinged. And ultimately, it is under Nero that some of the great earliest persecutions of the church occurs. It is the basis by which Paul, I mean, Peter writes First Peter. It is in the face of that kind of persecution at the same time where ultimately Peter and Paul are both martyred uh, under these current uh, circumstances. Paul, perhaps now in prison, awaiting that very martyrdom. It is right for me to feel this way about whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. Defending would be uh, not a uh, defensive approach, but is actually a, an offensive approach of making clear the truth claims of the Bible to those who do not yet believe it. Confirming the Bible would be the idea of making, for those who have already received the word of God, making sure that you understand that this is ironclad. And this is your, the words of life that you now have with you. Whether I'm in chains defending or confirming the gospel, all of you 
share, more koinonia coming here, all of you share in God's grace with me. And not only are they sharing in God's grace with him, they're also sharing and spreading the gospel of God's grace with him. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. One of the more intense things that is said about Jesus in the scriptures, whether he looks at Lazarus, who has gone through so much death, or, or whether he's, he's looking at the leper at the beginning of his ministry, th- those are the two bookends of his ministry, the, the, the first leper that he heals, and Lazarus, the, the second to last healing, the last healing is that guy with the ear, of course, Malchus, uh, but, but, but in between those two, what Jesus has described is having a deep affection for these people that he interacts with. And the word that is used is splunka. And it's a, a longer, more complicated Greek word as the verb. But it comes from the, the Greek word spleen, where we get the word spleen. It's an insight. Uh, but but here's, here's the interesting part, is that when you talk about the seat of emotions, it isn't the heart in Greek thought or Greek language. It is the viscera, kind of your... your I don't know, your, your upper intestines. Your, it, it's, it's this idea of like, oh, I, I, I just wish that my, my small intestines could just shoot out of me and just wrap around you in a beautiful embrace of love and affection. And if it could, then maybe, just maybe, you just might know how dear you are to me. And now let's get some wet naps in here. But, but, but that, that is the, the intensity of this emotion that is being conveyed by Paul here, but of course, because Jesus had conveyed it to Paul himself and to all that he came in contact with as he looked at every one of us, interrupted our lives with eyes full of love, knowing that there is an intense affection that really did cause us to have our lives disrupted by Christ and Paul as well and Philippians as well. So it is right for for, for me to have all of this because this is the affection I have for you. And now here is my prayer that you, that your love, your love may abound. That word abound is actually super overflowing, that you may have this ridiculous overflowing and it happens more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern. Discern is this idea of being able to discriminate between true and false. Discriminate between best and better. Discriminate between counterfeit and real. Currency is actually used with with currency quite a bit. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure. It's an interesting word. I'll, I'll talk about it later. Blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so the letter begins and and so the Philippians are gathered and so they hear the letter and so they are encouraged knowing that, wow, Paul really loves us. The way that he's gushing in this letter, it's, it's almost a little bit embarrassing, but boy, does he really love us. And what does he want for us? More than anything, what he wants for them is that as great as this start has been, 12 great years, you already have deacons, you already have elders in, in this church, that 
that you keep on pressing forward. Just as he'll say of himself, keep pressing on, pressing on towards that goal because Jesus is coming back. It's the reality. He's coming. This all leads somewhere. And so where you are right now is going to be all the more amazing. But one of the things that comes through early in this letter is this idea that there is a, an intimate reciprocity, mutual, not just admiration society, but a mutuality in all ways of grace, grace, grace. That is, that is from Jesus to Paul, from Paul bringing that to the Philippians, the Philippians then understanding that from Jesus, together being partners with grace to help more in the world. And, and it's all reinforcing. And it's a beautiful relationship. You, you probably have some relationships like that in your life. That where, oh my goodness, that person tries to do you a favor and you're like, oh, I can't believe, here they come again. And then you're so excited at every turn thinking about when can I encourage them in some way or another. Deb and I have a friend like that that, that was our neighbor uh, up in Newport News. And his name's Jerome. He's just the most fantastic guy. He's a single dad. He's doing a crazy, amazing job raising his daughters in a, a wonderful way in Christ. And uh, along the way, at first, we were just neighbors doing favors for one another. Then along the way, we, we helped him to know Jesus. And, and he did. And, and he repented. He was baptized and has, has kind of flourished in Christ. Praise God for all of that. Uh, and out of his kind of gratitude that we could in some small way be a conduit of the grace of Christ, then immediately, again, remember what we talked about last week in Roman society. The minute that you receive grace in any way... From, from anyone, the first thing that then that comes to you is an overwhelming gratitude that quickly rushes your mind to the thought, how can I reciprocate in a proportional manner? And, it, you know, and so that is our relationship. And then, you know, Jerome, he, he knows how to do everything. He knows how to fix everything. And so if anything, if he even hears a hint of something being, being broken at all, you know, we'll come home and there he is, you know, Fixing something in the car, taking care of something. And then, and then we learn, you know, because he's a single dad, and we're like, oh my goodness, look at all he's done for us. We learn that he's a single dad. We not learn, but we know that he's a single dad. And if he has to be late at work, um, you know, then, then we're quick to be like, you know what, we'll go to the bus stop. We'll get the girls. We'll, we'll take care of that. That'll be fantastic. And then, then our girls become close friends, and they have that uh, re re reciprocity relationship as well. And, and that grows, and it gets deeper and deeper and more wonderful all along the way. But, but at every turn, it just becomes a more and more intimate dance. That's, that's what we, we need to understand as we read this letter. We're reading a letter for, for people that are in a very intimate dance, initiated by Jesus, but then reinforced at every one of these single turns. The minute that you get it, you can't wait to give it back. Once you get it again, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I, I want to encourage him and her now uh, with all of that. But that's the reality of, of these relationships in this letter. And it's, it's a beautiful reality. And Paul, of course, again, going back to this kind of purposefulness of the letter, he says, not only has God begun a good and beautiful work in you, but more importantly, God is going to complete this good work in you. Now, I want to take an opportunity while we're still early in the letter to still kind of flush out a little bit of a background on this church of Philippi. Remember, the church of Philippi is also known as the Macedonian church because it was the first church 
in Macedonia, Philippi being uh, the first city in Macedonia that would have been evangelized. And so the two become kind of equi- equivalents for one another uh, throughout the New Testament. Let, let, me, let, let me show you what this good work began and how it looked like in the beginning here. Uh, I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians 8. You don't have to turn. You can just read it here with me if you like. Or if you want to turn, you know what? You do what you want. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Remember, there's this dance of grace that only becomes more and more powerful with every turn of the dance floor. About the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In other words, the grace that God has given to the church in Philippi. In the midst of a very severe trial, that means persecution, their overflowing joy, it's that same word that we saw earlier about a love that will overflow, superabounding love more and more, that they have that not only in love, but they have it already in their joy. But this joy is in the context of super intense, severe trials and persecution. That in the midst of this persecution, the, the Philippians' overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, in most circles, those are not two ingredients that result in the end product. Right? You may have joy beyond measure, but if you are so poor that you're poe, well then, when those two things come together, you end up with a joyous excuse. Right? Yeah. Like, yo, I'm so glad we had a but. Hey, you know, got, what, got nothing, you know. What, 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 what am I going to do? Uh, I, I wish we could. Hey, maybe those Athenians uh, might, might be able to step up at the moment here. But that is not actually the equation that occurred in Macedonia. Because they had been given so much in grace, the first thing on their mind is, how do we give? How do we give? How do we give? Jesus has done so much for us. How do we reciprocate proportionally in in this uh, beautiful dance of grace? It welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, For the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. By the way, that word service is is in the original language. That they, for the privilege of sharing in this grace. It's it's actually the word grace again. Again, grace received, grace, grace offered quickly. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us also. I think to zero in on the background of of the church in Philippi, what better verse than verse 2? In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. How, How do you end up there? How do you have such an effect of grace on your life that it doesn't always, doesn't always, doesn't only produce gratitude and eagerness to be able to reciprocate, but it allows you to even make sense of the world in a totally different fashion. I've got so little, probably the best idea here is buckle down, let's try to take care of our families, do what it is that we can, 
But, but instead, that's not even the way that they viewed. They viewed, what, well, whatever it is that we have, we're going to go ahead and give it, and even beyond our, our ability to be able to do so. How do, you, how do you end up at such a place as that? Well, because the grace that was given to them was given to them by Jesus. And when Jesus helps us to make sense of the world, and the people receiving this letter in Philippi have been so shaped, not by a worldview, but by a kingdom view that Jesus has laid out. Let me, let me give you an example of that kingdom view that Jesus has laid out. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Really? <laughs> and yet he says, rejoice. Where, where does this joy come from? Rejoice, Jesus says, in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. You know, Paul, even as he speaks to them, refers to the same joy, but he also keeps in mind that there is a reward in heaven that's coming. Jesus is coming. And throughout the letter, he sprinkles it in that, yes, we're doing some pretty astounding things here and now, but the age to come will be ushered in with Jesus. And that's for certain. And so we live not short-sighted, myopic lives, but we live lifting our eyes to the longer timeline Realizing where should our treasure really be? What is really the basis of our joy? And if we are to have hope only for this age, Paul says to the Corinthian church, we are to be pitied more than all men. Now, Jesus doesn't just leave it there in, in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, but he goes on and also wants to make one more thing clear. But woe to you. Woe. The... Uh, uh, Aramaic word for, for, for woe, by the way, is oi. Oi. Oi to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Why? Because that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Looks religious. They're prophets, but they're false prophets. And guess what else they are? They're rich, they're well-fed, they're laughing, and they're acclaimed. Now, the, the word laugh, you might wonder, well, isn't that kind of a, a, a joyous thing? It's, it's probably closer to translate it to those who gloat, those who are victorious. It's, it's not having fun, it's having won that is being described here by, by Jesus of, of woe to you who laugh. And so he then draws this distinction uh, between the first set and second set of uh, blessings and woes. Poor, hungry, weep, and rejected versus rich, well-fed, laughing, and acclaimed. And uh, there's a commentator on the book of Luke, um, Michael Wilcock, who, who wrote, what Jesus called them to do is prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect 
what the world calls desirable. It's not as though we should run after being poor, hungry, weep, and rejected. But if we're so blessed, well then prize it. And shout for joy, leap for joy, if that might be our lot. Because great is our reward that, that is in heaven. And, and nor should we, out of hand, just simply reject being rich, well-fed, laughing, winning, or being acclaimed. Uh, but rather, what we should do is be very suspicious. That sort of prosperity is not necessarily a blessing, but more likely, according to the context of this passage, a snare. A snare to our precious faith. A snare to the clarity of the relationship that Jesus has established with us in a dance of grace. And a, and a way to very much undermine the depth of intimacy that we've been given in Christ. If we don't have a, a repentant mindset, we go from a worldview to a kingdom view when we have a, a, a metanoia, a change of mindset. Greek is metanoia for repentance. Uh, I, I say that for those who have come along more recently. Um, those of you who have been around have heard that word way too many times. But this, this metanoia that has been really established by the wisdom of Christ has been really imparted to Paul in an eye-opening conversion. And Paul has then imparted, even on the Philippians, as they are understanding finally the, the, the depth and the reality of the kingdom of God. And that there is a new king in town. Yeah, there's an emperor. But we have now understood that there is a new king in Jesus. And that now defines the way that we make sense of Rome, of Macedonia, of life, of riches, of, of persecution, of all things. We now see it clearly through that lens. All of them do. And so as they receive this letter, the reason that this is the joy, 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 rejoice, rejoicing letter is because of this. They now prize what the world calls pitiable and they suspect what the world calls desirable. And so to kind of land this plane on this passage, uh, Paul, of course, does say God is going to complete a good work in you. Uh, that, that's how he begins this section in verse six. Uh, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day when Jesus returns. But how specifically is he going to do that? Well, God is going to complete a love in you. And that's his prayer now. All right, in completing this great work in you, here's what's really going to grow. Is your love. Agape. And again, to, to think of love in any sort of a hallmark, sentimental rom-com approach uh, is to do violence to the very word that Paul just used here. Love. When Jesus shows uh, an abounding love, think about John 13, when Jesus shows an abounding love, I'm going to show you my love to the fullest. What does he do? He humbles himself, puts a towel around his waist, takes out a, a bowl of water, and he washes the feet of 12 dull men who are astounded at having seen the fullest extent of his love. Love is not a sentiment, but rather it is a selfless, sensitive service to others. 
And if we can keep that in mind, love is selfless, sensitive service. That's love. Yes, it is sincere. Another S word, I could have thrown that in. Yes, it is uh, very very much attended with real affection. But the, the real clarity of love is this selfless service that we offer always to others. And the, the Philippian church, what is it that they're doing already? I mean, my goodness. Intense persecution, awful poverty, and yet rich generosity. Their love, and, 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 and even in the midst of that, now they've put together a big gift and given it to Paul. And by the way, one of their own, Epaphroditus, who brought the gift, almost died to be able to get the gift to Paul. Yet another Philippian. I mean, this is the selfless, sensitive service that Paul is already seeing in this church. And it would be tempting, I think, for him to say, look, you know what? You guys have set the mark. I mean, it is really astounding. Good on you. You know what I'm going to do is I want to learn more about this and I'll tell the other churches about it. He doesn't settle there no matter where we are in our walk. Paul always wants us to have this idea of progression. As we become more and more like Christ, communally, individually, more and more abounding, super abounding, more and more in our selfless, sensitive service as we become more and more like Jesus. And so as he drills down on this, and and, and this is the kind of the the last part that I want to look at this morning, is he talks about this maturing love and this maturing love. Again, it's, it's mentioned in verse 9, this maturing love that's going to abound, overflow more and more and more in what? In knowledge and insight and discernment. You can, you can see that right there in the text, verse 9. Knowledge, insight, and discernment. But not just so that you know more or that you're more keenly discerning, discriminating between good and evil, best and better, any of those things. But, but, but actually... So that you would end up being pure and blameless and righteous. That kind of basis of love that's already there, coupled with a deepening of your understanding of all things Jesus and the kingdom of God. My goodness, when when that happens, it only abounds more and more. But there has to already be a real foundation of sincere, selfless service to to others. Otherwise, I don't think Paul would be saying to them, now let's see you learn even more stuff. We, We know that he says in the great chapter of love in 1 Corinthians 13, if I could fathom all mysteries and knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. So, if if you've kind of studied your Bible, learned amazing things, put together great connections, but it has not, as, as all of those great connections have come together for you, all those wonderful Bible insights, if it has not resulted in more intense, selfless, sensitive service to others, well then, it is nada. It amounts to nothing. And, and now, what... Because they have such a basis of this, now he says, now that you have this basis, and it's clear, you've got a track record, it's what this letter is about, I'm thanking you for your love, now I want to see this go even, even deeper. And, and here's praying that, that where you're at right now, 
is that you have determined that your life is not about yourself. Like, if, if you have not yet denied yourself, like, like we even shared during the communion, well, then how do we even take step one in walking with Christ? I mean, Christ was completely selfless. This letter will heighten the very picture of Christ and characterize him in, in Philippians 2, the great hymn that really shows us Jesus in this letter of selflessness. If there is not selflessness, then we have no hope of knowing love, knowing agape Christian love, selfless service to, to others. And, and, and if, if that's not the, the case for you yet, then I would encourage you. It's, it's really some time for some, some soul searching. And if as you're trying to wrestle with this idea of really denying self to be all in for the great sake of something greater, the very cause of Christ, if, if you're at that point and, and you feel like you're at a, at a sticking point, well, this is, I think, God throwing you a life preserver. Saying, right now, just, just grab someone before you get out of here today. And, and just tug on them saying, I, I, I need to end up at a place where I am, I'm no longer trying to protect and, and redeem self in, in all of this. I, I need to just simply deny self and know the joy of full, all-in following of Jesus. You know, it's raining outside today. And you know, some, sometimes I'll watch uh, you know, different people in the rain. And, and at, at times, um, it's what I do. But sometimes, uh, you know, you, you've got a, a lame umbrella and you're, you're trying to kind of make your way through, or especially kids, if, you know, at first they think, well, maybe I'll, I'll try and stay dry. But then they start to get wet and then it becomes this miserable dance of trying to protect yourself and, and yet still make your way through the rain. But at some point, if they just give up on the umbrella and they just say, you know what, bag it. I'm getting wet anyway. What, what am I trying to kind of hold a piece of me back to somehow have this little extra comfort for myself? Goodbye, umbrella. Bring on the rain. And then suddenly, that's the happiest kid on the block. <laughs> right? I mean, they're running around. They're kind of kick, kicking the, the, the puddles. I'm singing in the rain. And, I mean, just having, having a blast. And suddenly, something that you thought might have been miserable ends up being something that's just so ridiculously fun and an adventure, and a, and a wonder. And, and I think we can be the same way in Christ. It's like Jesus is trying to kind of, you know, let, let, let's say, baptize us. Uh, and, and yeah, I don't know, I want to stay dry, it's uncomfortable. I don't know about, about that, that life in Christ that I really want. But, it, but if we would just put away all this self-protection and just go all in in Christ, we'll know the unbridled joy that Paul knows and that the Philippians know here. Jesus isn't trying to get you to deny self. So, aha, now I got you. Here come the shackles. Ha, 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 sucker. Now I, ah, oh, you wait and see. You're going to be ushering. You're going to be mowing the church lawn. Oh, it's going to be, oh, man, you wait and see. Scripture speaks nothing of that. And a, and a true walk with Christ speaks nothing of that. The, the minute that there's that sort of abandon, there is only excitement that attends to it at the same time. So nonetheless, so with, with this selfless love, when we really do decide that right, I am not going to be perpetually immature in my walk with Christ. 
that I need to make sure that I add to my knowledge goodness and to my goodness self-control. It's a, the, 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 there is somewhere I'm meant to go to be more like Jesus. And that I need to press on towards the goal. As Paul will talk about throughout this letter. I need to recognize where is that place that I need to go. And this is the wonder that I love about this church. Is that we actually practice discipleship of one another. So that we can help one another become more like Jesus. But it's already built in to the very fellowship that you happened upon right here. Why not make the most of those opportunities? Because in the end, what happens is that we end up all the more excited about being pure. The word pure is heliocrinos. It's two words. Helios is, is sun, right? We, we know a heliocentric model of the solar system, for example. Uh, helium. It's, you know, it's all sun, right? Well, of course we all know the heliocentric model of the solar system. <laughs> As opposed to that idiot Ptolemaic geocentric model. <laughs> but nonetheless, so we, helio, sun... And, and then the word krino is, is the word for judgment. And it is this idea that in, in the bright sunlight, under the, the real bright light, even under that bright light, you really are who you are. Who you are in private is who you are when the stained glass light is hitting you. And, and no matter what the light, at the end, you, 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 you are pure. Blameless is that you, you never stumble. You're not kind of stubbing your toe on, on, on awful things. But what a wonderful place to be able to end up. That, you know, who I am in secret is who I am in public. What a, what a great mark of maturity that that could be the case. And, and that's where Jesus wants all of us to be. It's where Paul wants the Philippian church to be. And it's where we all get to go. If, if I think we take this launch into the letter seriously. And so here's my, my, my simple charge to conclude this morning. Ask someone who loves you how you can grow in maturity in Christ. Amen. And not just ask, but demand it. And if they're like, ah, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, then let's set an appointment. Let's really think about it and talk about it. Or let's, let's talk again tomorrow if, if it really doesn't come to you yet. Or how about you ask me a bunch of questions about how I'm doing in different areas of my life to see. And then once I think that becomes a bit clear, make a plan together. Make a plan together so that as we go through this book of Philippians, that we come out at the other end as we now see Paul pressing on towards the goal and heading towards the, the very destination that has always been in store for all of you, feeling as though, you know what, praise God. Praise God that I didn't half-step it through this study of this book. Praise God that I wasn't some passive listener, but I was actively involved, co-koinonia, completely partakers of all it is that, that this letter wanted the Philippians to be and what he what wants all of us to be. So church, here's the charge. Let's head after it. Amen.